Hello, everyone, and welcome to this bonus episode of the This Month in Entrepreneurship podcast. I am your host, Ashley Rocker-Priori, and I have not only my two co-hosts from last year, Joshua and Alex, but my two new co-hosts for this upcoming year, Andrew Nixon, who was last year's PhD representative for the Entrepreneurship Division, and... I have been able to convince Joshua to stay on for another year as co-host. So we're excited for this bonus episode to talk a little bit about job market, what you can expect, and let you hear all the feedback that we've gathered over the last year from all of our faculty guests about different advice they have for the job market. So while we could spend the whole episode just listening to this amazing advice, we also thought it would be interesting for you all to hear some thoughts from Joshua, since he just finished his job market, from Alex and I, who are about to go on job market and things we're nervous about, to kind of make this feel less lonely. This job market process can seem really strange, like you're competing with your friends for jobs, and we wanted to just kind of make it more open to discussion of these different topics that might be bothering us as well, or that we may need advice on as well. So you'll hear advice from faculty, plus little tidbits from all of us as well, just to break it up and add some nuance to this. So we really hope you like this bonus episode, and we look forward to listening to the advice again as well as we prepare for our own job market. So I think we're going to put Dr. White on the spot and ask him the first question. So Joshua, what are some things that you learned on the job market and some things you think that we on the job market this year, those that will be on it in the future should keep in mind? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I would say that the thing that I learned is that um, everybody else freaks out and um, it's really hard not to let other people's emotions um, impact your emotions. So I'd say like you definitely see everybody else's paranoia come out during those several weeks or months where everybody's talking about it. And, um, you know, you're at conferences or you're talking to people and everybody's talking to you about it. And, you know, it really is the only thing that people care about for, you know, that six month period of time. And um, it's really hard to not let other people's voices become your voice, you know, Um, and that paranoia spill over into you. So um, I think just like keeping a clear head was actually kind of challenging um, because, everybody makes such a big deal about it. Um, And so for me, I just tried to always remind myself that, um, I guess because I came from industry, I just always try to remind myself that it's just a job. You know, this is just a job. Like you, you get jobs, people get jobs every day. Like just go forward with this process and don't make it some, you know, you know, we treat it like Miss America. And it's just like, it's, it's not, it's just, it's, it's job interviews be yourself, you know, and don't get too serious about it. So this actually ties in really well with feedback we got from Chuck in his advice for the job market as well. You want to seek out as much advice as you can get. Um, So talking to people that just finished the market, talking to people that are assistant professors at the schools you're trying to go to, um, talking to, you know, the senior faculty at your school prepping you um because senior faculty play a big role in advancing your candidacy if you're if your advisors are walking around saying hey you know let me talk to you about that goes a long way because most candidates do not have professors talking them up 
thing, I'll reiterate it because I don't think it can be said enough. You've got to target. Um, there's so many schools out there that are concerned that you're shopping for a any offer. You want to target um, because no school wants to be the school that is, you know, you're taking their offer around and shopping it, right? You're going around saying, hey, can you beat this? Can you beat this? Can you beat this? No school wants that. And schools, you know, they want faculty that want to come in, that want to be there, that don't want to come in and leave after two years because, you know, you're not as engaged and they can sense you don't really want to be there. Um, so for all those reasons, they want they want to hire people that like, look, I want to come, I want to get tenure, and I'd like to stay at your school. That's who schools want. And they know you might move on, but ideally, they're going to prefer that candidate. So you're trying to create that impression. The way you create that impression is through authenticity, honesty. You know, like I've, I've talked to a lot of people. I've talked to the people, other professors at the school. I know them. I can work with them. Maybe I'm already on a project with one of them, you know, or, or what are just, I've done a lot of research into your school. You know, the reasons you, and you know, the reason why students don't do that, right? That takes a lot of work. You multiply the number of schools you're going to interview with times that, and you're talking about a ton of work. But in my experience, you know, the people that are most successful in their job searches are the ones that have invested a ton of time doing that type of targeting. You know, I, I prepared briefing sheets for every single school that I was going to. I had a briefing sheet saying, okay, this is this is the document that gives me, okay, this is the background, this is the faculty at the school, this is why I'm interested. This is, you know, all the the kind of the, the initiatives they're working on that I think might be relevant, you know, to us. Like, hey, you got a new grant, you got a new endowment, you got a new, you know, whatever. This is cool. You know, we're expanding this program. You named a new center in entrepreneurship. You know, so I was kind of when I walked in, I felt like, okay, I can talk your school. I can talk why I'm interested in coming to this particular school. I think that's important. So I love this advice. And I think it ties really well in with this idea of finding a school that fits you and that you fit them. So I'm interested, Joshua, about how this type of advice influenced you when you were on job market. Did you have issues with this or what was it like for you? My criteria for going on the job market was, and I heard this from somebody else. So all that advice that I got that, you know, um, but the one piece of advice that I thought was most valuable is um, if you could pick out a burial plot in the town that you're interviewing, um, if you could, if you could picture yourself being buried there, that's a school that you should apply to. And I, that's how I, that's how I approached the job market is I was like, if I can picture myself living here, dying here, being here, then, then that's what I want to do. And if I can't picture myself living here, dying here, being here, then I'm not going to apply. While I can't say I've ever heard that advice, it's interesting. And I think one of the ways in which job applicants could figure out if that's where they want to be is to apply to a wide variety of schools, because who knows if you're going to like it until you get there. Russell Cropanzano, when he was on the show, offered some similar advice about applying to a lot of places. Apply to every job that's out there. And doesn't mean you have to accept it, right, if you go. And I'm going to tell you two reasons why you should. Um, one is you get to be a better interviewer by practicing. And so I, I can remember, uh, um, I, I don't want to tell but I've got some horror stories about interviewing, um, meaning horror stories based on my own behavior, not the people who are interviewing me, um, um, where I just, answered questions in a silly way or, or was argumentative and things like that because I was tired. 
And, um, and so the practice is important. The second thing is don't rule places out just be, before you've seen them. So um, people have all these stereotypes, you know, about, oh, I, would, I could never live in Mississippi is, is one that I heard, um, um, or uh, Iowa. And that's absurd. That's absolutely absurd. If, um, if, if you need to live near the mountains to go skiing like I do, you probably don't want to work at the University of Colorado. Um, um, you probably want to have a trust fund. And, um, and um, because, because you've got to work. And so what you want to focus on is you want to visit the place and look at the working conditions. Are these colleagues with whom you can collaborate? Are they people that support your research? Um, can you get um, things like financial support, like your faculty monies? To, so, so I would say go on as many interviews as you can, practice as much as you can, and keep an open mind. Um, and, and, and you'll learn a lot. You'll learn a lot if you do that. Mm -hmm. One thing I thought was also interesting is advice from Jeff Gish on where to find these opportunities to even apply to. I think that it's, a, it's important to... Well, first of all, know which jobs are out there. And I think that's kind of low-hanging fruit. Uh, the, you can, there are several different ways to do that. But one way that I utilized was the uh, Google Doc. You guys are familiar with the Google Doc? Uh, so getting, getting on there, um, although I, I wasn't a, I, I read the Google Doc and I read it way too much. So I think it's a blessing and a curse, that thing. Um, but one good thing that I got from the Google Doc is I got turned on to people who are really giving and caring uh, and have advice that is valuable. Uh, people like Lance Ferris, who has a, a link on the Google Doc that it kind of says, like, here's what interview questions might look like. Um, here is, uh, here's, you know, the typical timeline when you need to start applying and those timelines shift from year over year, but you can access previous Google Docs because there's links to those in each year's Google Doc. Um, so visit the Google Doc, but don't spend too much time there. I mean, there's also a catharsis tab where, you know, you can go down a dark rabbit hole pretty quickly. Um, and that's, that's also a really uncertain process. Um, I applied fairly widely when I came out as a rookie just because I figured I don't have options until I have offers. Uh, and I don't know where I and my family will end up. And so I cast a fairly wide net. And uh, those people that you meet are valuable parts of your network moving forward. Um, so that's another reason to, to potentially apply widely, even though you may have your, you know, your dream schools that you want to, you only want to apply to. The hiring process has some randomness to it as well. And in a, in a, in a random uh selection process where only one person, usually it's just one job that they have to apply for, you have no idea the idiosyncratic things that you may, may be chosen or passed over for. Alex, given the uncertainty in this process and the vast assortment of opportunities, R1s, R2s, uh, industry, what are kind of your thoughts on the job market and the options that are out there for us as doctoral students looking for a job? There's the pressure to go to R1s, there's a the pressure to go to these research schools, but you do have other options if you think the fit is better, if the location's better. So you need to do what's better for you, for your lifestyle and, and what you want and what your family wants. And if that means um, a more balanced school, you have that option. So 
So try and ignore the the pressures to only go to an R1 if it's, if it's not what you want for your life. Diana also alluded to this when she was giving her advice about the job market. Well, I'll tell you, the job market is way more competitive than when I came out. And I'm trying to think, con- con- contextualize for what would be valuable if you're on the market now this year. I think the most important part is know, kind of have a, an idea of what type of career path you want in academia, right? Um, sometimes we have this tendency as departments to stress the importance of going to an R1 school and being super research productive, but maybe that's not necessarily you, right? So be authentic to yourself and know what you want. If you know your teaching is your bag and you really love that, there's so many teaching schools where you would be valued and prioritized as a faculty member for those skill sets, right? Um, I knew I wanted somewhere balanced. Like I knew I wanted teaching to be important and research to be important. And I just could not hack the like, competitiveness of like a top 25 R1. So I found somewhere that I thought I would be a productive member and my research would be valued and my teaching would be valued, right? So don't let the pressure of like maybe your mentors or your department get in your head, like be true to you and figure out what is going to make you happy and pursue that. So we've heard a little bit from Joshua about his experience with the job market. And so now I'd kind of like to pivot over to Andrew and Alex and let's kind of talk about things that we're nervous about on the job market. Andrew, what do you think? For me, I think uh, getting in the door, uh, having that strong publication record is is obviously the competition is fierce. I see people applying to associate or assistant professor positions. We already have assistant or associate professor positions. So as a you know, fourth year PhD student, fifth year PhD student, it seems like it's up to the hiring committee whether they want to take someone who's an existing professor uh, over that, you know, person who's just about to graduate. And I'm not sure how they decide when they want that, right? Like if, it, if they're going to take the chance, not to say it's just competitive, but it's kind of like a different market in terms of it's not just the graduating cohort that's competing for jobs out there from, from what I've seen. So Sophie actually provided some really good advice when we had interviewed her on how to ensure when you're interviewing that you're saying and doing the things you should be and figuring out if you're a good fit for that school. Once you send out and are invited for even an, even either an interview like a fire, but also sometimes they're like pre-screening Zoom interviews or an interview at AOM, I think the department wants to have great people who are qualified, right? And so the who are qualified, at that point, at the point of the interview, you're already qualified, right? Because we know that the the number of people invited for interviews, even at AOM, it's not like hundreds for a position, right? It's like maybe a dozen, likely less. These people are qualified, right? So if you're in, you know, if you're invited, it's about highlighting your qualification. Okay, so highlighting your quali- what may not scream from the CV or like what people may not be remembering from the CV. So um, not only like how many publications, but what kind of methodology, you know, if you're like an expert in a, in a method, you know, um, if you've done, you know, for instance, you're doing this podcast, okay, or she's a networking, or she's a network, you know, she's a networker, like she's organizing 
um, that, or she's, she has ties to serve, she's volunteered for the AOM division. So that's part of your, your qualities in terms of service, in a sense. Um, for research, what do you have in the pipeline? Any updates? Just emphasizing your qualification and being able to give a, a pretty structured pitch of a research project. That's the qualification. The great people, you know, I think we have so many great people. Just be yourself and just be enthusiastic and 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 show engagement and and, and genuine uh, interest in in the job, right? Because a, de a department wants great people to join them with you know with uh, great qualifications. But the great qualification is uh, is almost a given. The great people, well. There is like a, a match, a personality match. You may not as well like the people interviewing you, right? So it's go, it goes both ways, um, you know. But be be in there, you know, be in your best, be your best self, um, because that, that that's a matching process. Um, and so, I think that's as important. Alex, I didn't get to ask you what you are concerned about on the job market since you are currently on the job market with me this year. I just, for me, I just want to work. And so I guess my concern is that this takes so much time and we have to emphasize it so much that I'm losing productivity and I, I just want it to be done. And so my concern is that I'm, I'm, I'm losing time on my work. I just want to, I just want to do my work. I'm sure this is an area that a lot of people on the job market right now are concerned with. And James Vardaman, when he was on here, actually gave some really good advice about how to approach this. And since that episode was about well-being, I thought it was actually very useful advice. Just to understand it's going to be hard. You only have to win once. You get the job you want. That one win is all you got to have. You don't have to win every, every time. And you're going to, you're going to, you're going to quote, lose a lot because you're just, you're, you're going to apply for jobs that you're not going to get because, and you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. You don't know what's happening at that university. So do not take it personally. Just understand, you know, you're going to find the one that fits with you. Um, from a utilitarian perspective, from a work perspective, my advice I give our students is, and this is this advice was handed down to me by some people when I was on the job market. You're not going to get a lot done when you're looking for a job. Um, every cover letter you write to every job you apply to has to be tailored to them. If you try to do a boilerplate letter, it's not going to work. You need to sell them on why you want to be there, why they matter, why they're the right fit for you. And you can't do that if you don't give effort. And so applying for these jobs takes a lot of time. Um, uh, some people even tailor their CV to the job. Um, and so that takes time. So you're just not going to get a lot done while you're job searching. And I think accepting that and acknowledging that will be good for your, not only for your uh, productivity, you know, just understanding what, you know, what your focus is, but also for your mental health. Because if you're trying to, if you're trying to write and be super productive while you're doing all this, it's, and it, and it doesn't work you're going to feel, you know, really bad about yourself and go through some of the things that we talked that we talked about with imposter syndrome and whatnot. And so it's really important to just acknowledge, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'll get done what I can, but I'm not going to get done as much as I might like, because this is a very time consuming, very hard thing to do. Also, 
Also, every phone interview you get, every Skype interview, I guess I don't do Skype anymore, Zoom, shows how old I am. Um, every Zoom interview you get, you're going to have to research all the people that you're going to be speaking to. You should research the university really well. I mean, you want to know your stuff so that you can get through that Zoom. And so, you know, if you're applying to a lot of places, you get a lot of Zooms, you know, every one of those takes tons of preparation. And that's not to mention flyouts, which take tons of preparation, tons of time, et cetera. So just, just accept that, hey, I'm not going to get a lot done while I'm doing this. That's okay. I'll do what I can, but I'm not going to beat myself up for being for feeling unproductive when this is going on and your mental health will be a lot better. What I'm trying to do, and I, I guess I hope some others can can do as well, is to try and just not stress it to the point where, yeah, you have to do it. You have to put the materials together, but then don't let it ruminate and don't think about it nonstop when you're not doing it. Still do your work and don't let it control your life because you can't control it. All you can do is send out your applications and do the interviews, but don't let it impact the rest of your life or the rest of your work. I actually really like this point, Alex, and it ties into points that Dean was making when he was on our episode and the advice that he would give us about the job market. Don't don't concern yourself too much about the different jobs advertised or the ones that you've applied for. Don't start looking at um, Zillow and start moving into the house or agonizing, should I choose between this university and this university until you have an offer? So the chances are you might only end up having a couple of offers, which would be a good thing, and then you have a choice to make. But until that stage, obviously keep an open mind. Um, The other thing I suppose is, you know, you're going there and they're trying to determine whether they want you. But when you go there, you're also trying to determine, is this a job for me? So you're also interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing you. So just the fact that you're interviewing there doesn't mean that you're required to take the job if they offer it. Right? And so I think that takes a little bit of pressure off uh, as well. Also, you know, I try to say to my doctoral students, and I think the problem, potential problem with doctoral students when they present is they think they're going to hire me as an expert and therefore I need to have an answer to everything they ask. Maybe that's true in some places, but, you know, I'd like to see someone to say, Oh, that's an interesting point. I'd like to think about that a little bit more. I'd like someone to just kind of admit, I don't know everything, but I've thought about certain things and maybe even a response, you know, perhaps it's this, perhaps it's this, but but yeah, I want to think about that a little bit more. And if you go in thinking, I don't have to be an expert, but I have to be someone who has knowledge, but the curiosity, I have the motivation to succeed, and I think that should hopefully make you feel a little bit more relaxed when you go to the job talks and, and you give these uh, job presentations. I mean, you've only, you've only been in the career, you know, four or five years from start. When you start your doctoral pro- program, you basically know nothing. You can't expect to be an expert in research at that period of time, right? So, so don't be too hard on yourself and have those expectations and realise that the people who are viewing you realize that as well they realize that you're going to develop more uh, so i think the other the other rule of thumb you know we generally have and we can't under understate it is that you know would i like to have this person in the office next to me and that is would i have a beer with them and i don't even care about beer so much but you can understand there are many things associated with would i have a beer with someone so i think it's the same rule of thumb when you're hiring someone you say 
you know, do they have the ability to publish in the journals that we want to publish in? And would I want to have an office next to this person? And I think they're kind of the, the two principles. So being a likable, nice person uh, is important. I think that doing this too lets you and the school understand the fit that you would have for that particular place. Which brings me to the last piece of advice that we basically knew from the second we heard it, we would say for the end of this episode. And that's from Morin about how to basically differentiate yourself and let people know who you are on the job market. I think uh, what, what I would like to say is that things I tell my, uh, my MBE students sometimes, and you'll probably think it's a bit stupid, but especially my male, I say, guys, female have, a, have, have the chance to show their, a little bit more their personality in terms of a dress they may wear. Male, when they interview, they're stuck with a suit. And uh, I said, but you can be flexible on your tie. Wear something special. Because I say, and I say this, I said, sometimes you remember these things more than anything else, right? Oh yeah, that was the guy with the, 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 the beautiful tie with this. What was his name again? So differentiate yourself. And it's, it's it, if, especially in entrepreneurship, right? Where we're supposed to think outside the box. So, and you are now a doctoral student, you're supposed to be unique in some ways. Yes, present your research and focus on what is unique. But as a person, you can also show yourself as being creative and unique. The other thing I want to say, and probably you know about this, but I remember talking, that was many years ago to my MBA students. So the shoes you wear, because the MBA student interviews, right? And the shoes you wear matter. It defines your personality. There has been research in psychology done on this. Take the time to wear interesting shoes. And I won't give publicity here on, on where to look for shoes for both male and female, we can do it offline. Um, shoes matter for male, your tie matter. For female, well, again, often the interview in the navy blue suit with a skirt and a jacket, I never did that. I interviewed in, I remember when I was younger, I had a leather dress <laughs> to interview and fishnet socks. <laughs> so, so, okay, I was a bit wild, but you know, they could at least remember, oh yeah, there was a woman with the leather dress. There was a woman with the fishnet uh, uh, nylons, right, stocking. Um, so, so that, I think, differentiate yourself as a person as well as what your research is about. This is, I think it, it helps. It helps to be remembered. I loved that advice from Warren because it, simply made the job market sound more fun. And I think that for me, the thing that I'm most concerned about in this whole process is not enjoying it to the magnitude that everyone else is saying that we should. Everyone says this is such a fun period. And it really is. You get to talk about your research and everything you've done over the last four or five years with so many different people. So my advice would be enjoy this time. Stop stressing about it. There are enough jobs for everyone. And when you look back on this time, 
5, 10, 20 years from now, this small six-month period will not even hold a candle to all the other years of this very long career. So enjoy it and have a good time with all of this and be yourself. We want to give a huge, huge thank you to all of our guests that have been part of this show over the last year who have really made our inaugural year of the TMI Entrepreneurship Podcast what it is. So thank you, thank you, thank you to all our faculty members who took the time to come on here and talk to us and give advice for the students of the Entrepreneurship Division of the Academy of Management. I want to also give a big thank you to Alex Hamrick and Joshua White for being such great co-hosts this year. I know last episode we had mentioned some changes in host and co-host, but what we've all decided is that I will stay on as host indefinitely just to keep this party going. Uh, Joshua has been gracious enough to stay on for another year as co-host so he can give us a kind of perspective as what it's like as an assistant professor and what advice he has for doc students. And then we have our new co-host, Andrew Nixon, who was last year's PhD representative for the division, who will be also able to give us some really good insights about different initiatives that the division has been putting forth for doctoral students as well. So we're really looking forward to this next year. We have some really cool new episodes, guests, seasons ready to go. And we would love if you all would send us your questions, comments, feedback on different topics or different guests we should have on the podcast this upcoming year. You can send those to our email, tmientpod at gmail.com, and we will look forward to reading them. And as usual, thank you for listening, and we look forward to our next episode. Bye, everyone.